everyone, and welcome to the Oklahoma Songwriters Podcast, where each week we find out just what makes our Oklahoma songwriters tick. If you've ever been interested in the process of how songs get written, or if you're a songwriter looking for tips and inspiration, then you are in the right place. I do one-on-one interviews with your favorite Oklahoma artists and dig into why and how they write their music. I'm your host, Jared Voluch, and I'm very, very happy you're here. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Oklahoma Songwriters Podcast. As always, I am Jared Veluch, and today, or tonight, we are joined by Clay Coglin. Hello. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing real well. It's good to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be here. Sorry I had you. We had to swap some times and get you in a little bit later, but it's uh, kind of a nice, calm evening. It is. It is. I, I could uh, go for some Steely Dan in the background, mm. you know, kind of a jazzy night it is well you're kind of a jazzy guy i am a jazzy guy you got like the old crooner kind of mm-hmm. hair thing going yeah i do that looking sharp i wear uh glasses too but i lost them so <laughs> fuck. so i don't wear Shit. glasses anymore yeah i don't fuck them mm-hmm. they're just gone forever now yep oh well they are i looked in four spots and that was it now they're gone forever. That's all there was. <laughs> they, it was either in the car yep. or it was somewhere in the couch. <laughs> it's so funny. I really did. I gave up. I was like, if I come across them, that's great, but I'm not going to actively look for them at this point because yeah. I, I got to move on with my yeah. life, man. Searching for glasses without glasses is a hard process, I would imagine. And a little ironic. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Alanis, mm-hmm. for all your guidance and wisdom throughout my teenagehood. None of those things, most of those things were not ironic. I can't think of, I'd like to say none of those things, but I can't think of all of them. But like rain on your wedding day, is is that ironic? I don't know. She's equating rain to it being a bad day. And I've always heard that's that's actually good luck. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the old wives tales that it's good luck. But like, I mean, is it, it might Bad be ironic. luck if it's raining. Like it could be ironic in Oklahoma. Yeah. Except this year. Which I guess. Was super rainy. I, I don't think it's bad if it's raining, though. No, I don't think it is. What else? Did I, I. It's like the. What was it? I, did, the, I can't think of any <laughs> other ones. <laughs> I, <laughs> and as the plane went down, <laughs> he was scared to get on the plane, and then the plane went down. Like, that's not ironic. That's unfortunate. It's very true. Isn't it unfortunate? No, nah, you can't. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's not as good. doesn't grab the same way as, mm-hmm. isn't it ironic? It'd be ironic if he was afraid to get on the plane because it would crash and they had, like, a heart attack. Like, that would be... That would be... Ironic. Ironic and hilarious. Because it's much more common and, like, yeah, hilarious, too, because yeah. now he's dead. <laughs> he, yeah, because of all his anxiety from flying, he... Ate, yeah, like obesely or whatever. Uh huh. And then had a heart attack on the plane. On the plane, yes. On the plane. There it yeah. is. There it is. That's ironic. That's a fucking long verse, though. Alanis, we, <laughs> we gotta talk. Um, <laughs> I need to have you on, and we'll rewrite. Okay. We'll get you squared away. I'm we'll Clay Coughlin. Yeah. And you are not. <laughs> I'm from Oklahoma, and I've been living here since November. But I moved to. Hollywood, a month after I turned 18. I um, have been playing guitar since I was 12 and um, 
singing and writing songs since I was about 15 and playing in bands around the same time. And I've spent pretty much my whole life uh, focused on music and it's what I love and it's what I do. And uh, that's, in a nutshell, that's me. Nice. So where are you from in Oklahoma? Banner. Banner. Banner, Oklahoma, baby. How do I not know where that? Well, I mean, there's a lot. Come on There's a mod, Oklahoma, so. (laughs) Um, Banner is in between Yukon and El Reno. Oh, shit. There's a Banner Road, and Banner is not technically a town, but it does have an elementary school and a school district. Nice. It has no restaurants. At one point, it had like a bar restaurant, but it closed. Um, <laughs> due, <laughs> due to the lack of customers, <laughs> there's a gas station and there is a uh, a co-op, and that's Banner. Beautiful. It's where I went to school from kindergarten until seventh grade, and they do have a school up to eighth grade. But I wanted to play football, so I I moved to UConn at, or or I. Went to school in Yukon at that point, so. Nice. Yeah. Uh, class size ranging anywhere from seven to about 14. Mm. So it was good times, baby. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many super, super talented people come out of small, small places where there's, I mean, there's a lot of, when you think of like all the, when it comes to sports anyways, I always mm-hmm. think about like the gigantic schools, like what is it, Tulsa Union? Sure, yeah, those yeah. cats. They get they have so many kids through there. It's highly competitive. I get it. Mm-hmm. But then, like every time I turn around, there's somebody that's like, yeah, I had, like seven to fourteen fucking kids in my class, and yeah, a lot of people. I forget who I heard mentioned just the other day, but um, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I th- I think growing up like that fosters like a passion for something because oh yeah for what, creativity there's what the fuck uh, else are you gonna do you know what i mean yeah well you know Par- uh, parker Millsap. yeah yeah he's uh, he's from purcell mm-hmm, yeah him and his buddy Midland, they just nowhere. grew up fucking playing yeah down there and mm-hmm. then then you turn around and you've been playing with your best friend who's playing upright bass for 10 15 years and you're you've got more time and shows under your belt because that's all there was to do like, yeah. i think that's what they focus on that's their... I think Leon Russell's from, like, Broken Bow or somewhere. Jesus. Somewhere middle of nowhere. And that guy played with Eric Clapton, played with the Beatles. He played with uh, Joe Cocker. He played um, fucking Elton John. Like, I mean, he was a literal fucking rock star. Played with every cool <laughs> rock star you ever met. Bob Dylan. And he's from middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. So that's pretty cool. That's crazy, man. Yeah. So are you an only child? You got any brothers or sisters or anything like that? Three brothers. Sweet. Three brothers. Mom and dad are still together. Um, so kind of the uh, archetypal family. Nice. Or I don't know if that's archetypal. I don't know what archetypal means. I don't, I bust, I don't either. I busted it out. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saving it. <laughs> um, yeah, good family. Um, not not like super close, like some weirdos, but um, it definitely close. So talk to them regularly, like them a lot, love them more, but like them. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, I get that. Um, well, good man. Uh, how was 
Shit, so you started playing when you were 12. Is guitar like mm-hmm. the, was that your mainspring? Was that what oh, yeah. kind of started you Definitely. in music? Okay. Definitely. Didn't play anything before that. Um, you know, my grandpa played guitar and banjo and harmonica, and I can't say he was like super talented at it, but he played all his life. Inspired me, and yeah, you can edit that out. Or not, huh. I don't give a shit. Um, I'm going to align it right with the Rachel's and see who's better tight she's gonna win um, <laughs> and so he attempted to teach me when i was nine and i just wasn't interested and i didn't have i didn't know how to focus on something and be patient oh well, um, yeah harmonicas it's a lot harder than people think oh yeah yeah it's, anybody can kind of pick it up and like do three notes and make a little chord sure and kind of move around a little bit but like to actually do single fucking mm-hmm. notes on that thing and move yeah. up around and like i brought one i can show you in a little bit you, all right, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, when I was 12, what really got me on guitar um, was my friend, you know, his mom would, like, buy him anything he wanted. At the mm. time, I was very envious of this. Now I understand that it was because his dad wasn't in his life and she was trying to make his life a little more enjoyable. That aligns a little more closely with my own. <laughs> However, I was 12 and I didn't give a shit about any of that. And I wanted a fucking guitar. Yeah. So, because um, he had one and he learned, I think it was Chop Suey by System of a Down. And I was like, fuck, I got to do that, dude. Yeah. And so I, at that, up until that point in my life, I was really good at saving money. I, I would almost say I collected it. Yeah. Like I'd bend over and pick up a fucking penny. And, you know, once a week I would audit my fucking Folgers can and I would like write it down and like I had a notebook. This is where we are. I would date it. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I would just like stack it up and like. Feels good. It feel it felt <laughs> great. And um, then I literally spent probably 80 to 90% of all the money I'd ever accumulated on a guitar and an amp. Uh, and I haven't had money ever since. So, mm. um, yeah. but I just loved guitar so much, and um, I progressed really quickly with it. I was able to do things kind of beyond my skill level fairly soon, So, and I loved it. That's awesome, man. I wish I had uh, some. I mean, I, I'm glad that I took it the way that I did with music, mm-hmm. doing sax and then moving on from there, but sometimes I wish. I wonder what would have happened, because I'm a decent enough guitar player but i would have loved to have seen how good i would have been if that would have been my main instrument from the beginning Mm -hmm. um and i did have a guitar first it was my first instrument i was like six okay i was six years old that's pretty young my parents got me a little baby guitar like the little kid one Mm -hmm. so it wouldn't have been that bad and it was classical so it had the nice nylon strings sure and uh Somewhere over the course of the next day or something, my fucking sister sat on it. Shit, dude. Just destroyed it. Fuck. (laughs) Just fucking asshole. That's terrible. Yeah. I was like, I think about that all the time. I'm like, do you know how good I would be if that had been? (laughs) Oh, it's so fucking funny. Uh, It's rough. Yeah. Try not to hold it against her. (laughs) <laughs> Every day. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. That's a resentment, dog. It is. Yeah. I got to figure this shit out. Yep. Uh, all right. 
So we kind of went over your musical background. Did you you picked up harmonica as well? Did you you picked up? Uh, I play I, a, a couple lot of, of different yeah instruments. a lot of instruments, uh, and I brought some over just to kind of give you a feel. Hell yeah. Okay. Well, we're talking about harmonica, so let's start with that. Let's see what we got here. Um, it was funny growing up. My favorite harmonica player was Bob Dylan. <laughs> Yeah. I, really, I really thought he was pretty good. No, I cannot fucking stand to listen to Bob Dylan play the harmonica because it's fucking awful. And I never progressed past, like, really good, like, harmonica players, but um, it is a lot of fun. I used to drive um, a pickup truck working for my dad's oil fill supply shop for a living. Um, so this was the only instrument I could do going down the road. Oh. And great way to practice, so. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, some traps with it. I, I like to play. I, I haven't done it serious in a long time, but um, it's a lot of fun. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. I like that. What Thank else you. you got? What else you do? Um, Let's see. I got a, I got a, a mandolin here. Oh, yeah. Um, And I, I like to mess around with a lot of stringed instruments. I've currently been practicing upright bass because uh, we have an upright bass player in our band. They came out here to do a show, and it's a huge instrument, so they we drove out here together, and then they flew back, so they left it, and I've been getting to play that, but this is... So that's the mandolin. Um, also mess around a little bit on a banjo. Um, and I've attempted to play like tons of instruments. I got into clarinet for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I owned an alto sax for a bit. Uh, it got stolen. It sucked. Yeah. This is a Native American flute. <laughs> These are fucking awesome, dude. These are the fucking best. I bet it has. I think I know what you're talking about. It's a good tone on. It's those a things. great tone. Go to a you know 108 Cherokee truck stop and bust out 60 bucks and get one. It's fucking great. Yes. Yeah. Just feels so good in here. Uh, it's just, uh, dude, it's such a good instrument. And like, it's a weapon too. I mean, yeah, that's you a could crush somebody with that thing. Solid piece of wood. Um, yeah. And it, it, they're very easy to learn. Um, they're not set up on a pentatonic scale. It's a whole tone setup. So, but I mean, it's very easy to do pentatonic. Native American music is based around the pentatonic scale, so nerd shit. But hey, that's what we're here for—is nerd it's, shit. Man. It gets you by, and it's a lot of fun. Hell yeah! 
And then, let's see, this is just a ukulele. Ukulele. Oh, yeah. That sounded nothing like Somewhere Over the Rainbow, man. No, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I, I messed up. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun. Great instruments. Uh, yeah. And I, I just love to learn something new when I get the chance. I acquired a pump organ recently, mm. and that is a fun, fun instrument. Is that the one where it's got the great big box that comes with it? No, that's that, that's a Leslie speaker, that it, okay, that's right, and that's, that's right. just used with an electric organ. So. That's right, that's right. Pump organ was commonplace in churches um, before the electric organ was invented, um, and... Basically, it has two sets of bellows that you have to pump with your feet oh, I've seen to that. power it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a great tone. It almost sounds like, uh, I think they're called concertinas, the, like an accordion. It has right. a very accordion type of tone. Reeded instrument, obviously, because it's you know wooden chambers. Um, and mine is a little over 100 years old. And what's cool about it, and also really inconvenient, um, is that... Each note is about 40 cents sharp because the wood has expanded over time and closed down the chambers. And so it's a little sharp, Um, but it's great. It has, you know, you pump it and you play it and it has the stops for different sounds and different chambers where it comes out. And it has these cool mechanical functions where it has a high doubler and a low doubler. And you hit a note and you see the other keys an octave down depressing themselves. And you're like, holy shit, that's fucking cool. Like, what a. That's some ahead of its time. Early, early 19, late 1800s. Um, And the coolest thing, I think, is um, it has these two little things that you pull out that you operate with your knees by moving them outwards. And on the right, what that does is it opens a separate chamber that provides more volume and a more trebly tone, creating a wah-wah effect. Jesus. It is dope as shit. So if you ever find one in decent shape, um, just snag it up because it's the fucking business. That's awesome. <laughs> Can you even, would you be able to refurbish it? I wonder. Yeah. To the point of yeah, getting it all back in key. You could. I'm sure you can. You you it could. It can't be that terribly difficult. It it can't be because I mean I bet they built it to be worked on. Definitely, definitely. Back then they didn't especially build shit to break. It, yeah, you know? especially and, and if they're, it's read it. they're American because it's not like they could ship them over because they're readed and they have all mm-hmm. these different parts. So Oh yeah, it would die on overseas. They built them here. Oh yeah, and the the seawater swelling up and they're they're pretty big, but they're not heavy is the mm-hmm. thing. Like they're big but they're not heavy because the wood is fairly uh, I guess light. Um Yeah. Um but you know, all churches have them, so I mean, they're they're around. Most of the ones I've seen are in pretty bad condition. Yeah, they probably quit playing them a long, long time ago. But this one is like real close to great condition, and it's a lot of fun. Nice, man. Yeah, I dig that. So you play all kinds of shit. I like to fuck around. Yes. Let's see. Yeah. So wait, when did you start performing? Did you wait till you were like eighteen and really get out there? No, it was a seventh grade talent show. 
Yes, it was. It was, yeah, it was. Yes, it was. I played a Black Sabbath medley. I wasn't singing at that time. I played a Black Sabbath medley with my our janitor on on bass <laughs> <laughs> and his nephew on drums. I love that more than anything. Yeah, and we did Iron Man and Paranoid, and I think uh, Snowblind uh, was the third one. And it was dope as fuck, dude. It was awesome. I loved it. And I remember as I was leaving, I was walking with, you know, my guitar and I felt like a rock star. And my um, uh, gym teacher, basketball coach, Clinton Tucker, Mr. Tucker, um, who obviously we called Mr. Fucker, goes, <laughs> he goes, hey, nice gig. And that made me feel like <laughs> such a badass. Dude. I was like, thanks, bro. Thanks, Mr. Fucker. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Fucker. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. God, dude. When... And I was hooked on it, man. Um, and then I my next gig would have been eighth grade talent show. And then ninth grade, um, I think a, a real band kind of formed. And then um, let's see. We do like uh, there's a skating rink. I think it was in Edmond where they'd let like youngster bands play. Come do their thing. Come do their thing. And I think we did like a cancer walk. Um, and I played, bl we played, did you guys do covers or yeah, were you like, yeah. you did your own shit? Oh, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't start writing songs until I was like 15 or something, oh, okay. yeah. which would have awesome. been a little bit after this time. So, right. but yeah, I think our second band, uh, pocket full of awesome. We did, <laughs> we did originals. Yeah. <laughs> I love that name. Yeah, dude. Pocket full of awesome. It, it was pocket full of awesome. I wish I could remember my band names from that way back then. Well, I remember all of them, dude. Um, in eighth grade, uh, and we only did the talent show. It was James Party of Four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in ninth grade, it was pocket full of awesome, and then we changed it to Rochambeau. Naturally, yeah. Yeah, I feel like there were a million bands called Rochambeau. There must have been. Oh, it had to have been. That's what you do. Was uh, it like punk ska or something? No, it was, you know, honestly, we were pretty bigly, big, bigly influenced <laughs> by um, um, like Man Man and Tom Waits and like weird shit like that. Um, That's fucking awesome. Yeah. So we had kind of like that creepy carnival sound. Jim Morrison, like The Doors, that was a big influence at that time too. Nice. So it's kind of heavy. It is heavy. Yeah. I like it. True artist. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, dude. Sad. And we'd play at, um, there was a place called 1620, The Loft. That was the name of it. It didn't last long. It was targeted for 16 to 20-year-olds, so it was not. It was a non-alcoholic place where that's bands would play, and that's why it failed, um, because you can't make money off fucking lattes if yeah. your operating hours are 7 p.m. to midnight. Right. Um, so, yeah, and it was... Uh, it was uh, ran by a guy, Ken McSpirit, who uh, um, tried to get into, like, signing high school bands. Like, he signed us, and we, like, signed contracts. And I'm doing air quotes because this podcast, so I'm <laughs> explaining that. Because you can't sign a fucking contract when you're 15. And so, like, when we didn't sell all of our demos that we made, and my mom still has a box somewhere of pocket full of awesome demos – um, he like sent all of our mom's letters, like trying to collect, like when he like up and moved to Texas one day, what? my mom was the only one that paid everyone else's <laughs> mom was like, yeah. go fuck yourself. dude." Yeah. But my mom was like, well, yeah, he's my son. He signed. So 
So now I owe her money for pockets full of awesome bills. <laughs> so illegal. Yeah, right. <laughs> 15-year-old kids. Like, that's the best scam. <laughs> it's great, yeah. But then he built this club. He sunk like probably 50, 60 grand into this like doomed to fail music club. Uh, and it was on Morgan Road. It was on Morgan and 15th. Like, there's nothing around there. Um, man, it was a bad idea. <laughs> uh, We're fucking legit. Yeah. Oh. And I remember it was so cool. Like, he, um, you know, we didn't, like, drink or anything at that time. And I, I don't think I was, like, smoking pot regularly yet. But cigarettes were, like, the cool thing, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and he was, like, the cool older guy who was, like, I don't mind if you smoke in front of me. Because like, I've got a payday coming. Yeah. <laughs> Dollar signs in his eyes. Smoke up, kid. You got to be a star. Do what you got to do. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Fucking Colonel Parker over here. Oh, man. That's beautiful. Ken McSpirit. I'm just going to say his name <laughs> one more time. We <laughs> Someday you'll hear this, maybe. Oh, yeah. No. It's great. Someone's gonna ask you a question. Yeah. <laughs> she really, truly like rope a bunch kids? of fifty-year-old kids into illegal contracts. Uh, uh, fuck. All right. <laughs> and so it was on. Yeah. The race for the stars. Yeah. Man, that's cool though. I mean, it was fun. That's crazy. I mean, it's crazy to, like, have that happen, but at the same time, like, why not? Yeah. Take a shot. Fuck it, baby. Take it as seriously as you can, and... Yeah. I feel like that's... More people should believe in themselves wholeheartedly to try. Mm -hmm. And, like, to fall for that or whatever is on your part, fuck it. Like, I'm going for this. I'm going to do it. I was 15. Yeah. Signing a piece of paper that was a record deal, I'd made it, dude. Yeah, worked for Bieber. Yeah. I don't know why couldn't work for somebody else. Yeah, although I guess his parents probably did that. Um, <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, so let's talk about your music writing process a little bit. Yeah. You said you started writing when you were fifteen. Um, my first song I remember writing was like for history class when I was like eight. Or in eighth grade. Um, so I was probably about 13. Um, oh, okay. But it wasn't good. It wasn't a song. Well, of course. It's, it, was, uh, it was about... It's not going to be good for your first one. It, oh, was, it, was, uh, it was about um, lead poisoning in the late 19th century, and these comatose victims were pronounced dead. I thought it was really interesting, you know, because I was a weirdo. And... <laughs> When they, when they realized that these people were being buried alive, they would uh, tie a string to their finger and then run it up to a bell. And then the, mm. the grave digger would hear the bell and he'd go dig them back up. And so I wrote about that and realized that, uh, you know, rhyming words was not the most difficult thing. And I guess putting together a chord progression was fairly basic. Um, and so the first song I wrote was... I think it was I'm Too Old for This, and it was a, a song um, that I completely ripped off of the cars. Um, um, there She Goes Again. Um, and uh, is that what it's called? Or Best Friend's Girl? I think that's what it's called. Best Friend's Girl. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, she used to be mine to the point where it even had the claps in it, dude. Like we even stole the claps, and uh, and it was about um, you know the first girl I loved that like turned me down, didn't want me type of thing. So I was like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna put you in a song, baby. You yeah. put me in a corner, I'm gonna put you in a song. Immortalize you. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I get that. I think my first song was what was that about? The first song I can truly remember was about my my dad and my stepmom because they were pretty. They had a pretty awesome relationship, oh. so I just I decided they needed to be immortalized. Yeah, needed to get my frustrations out. Yeah, totally. But yeah, that's basically it's like that's what always gets it. Every artist that I bring on here, we all start because of something, some kind of. Little torture story, something yeah. that little happened to us, and it's like I don't know. Well, I can't. Okay. Teen angst. So here's the thing: I can't remember if that was my first song, or you know, uh, you know what? Actually, I wrote a song, another song about a thing in history, and I love history. It's called Habsburg Blues, and I still play it to this day. It's on that album I gave you. Shit. Kept it all this time. Um, it's about the. Uh, the the Habsburg family that ruled Luxembourg, and then they got so they kept fucking each other, and then they eventually got so, you know, <laughs> genetically mutated that they like fell out of power. on uh, Luxembourg, I don't know, had a recession or something. But anyway, um, I I digest. Um, I wrote this song for this girl, and I'm gonna name her Cat Dwiggins. I wrote this song for this girl, dude, <laughs> that I fucking love, dude, and. You know, she didn't want me, you know what I mean? She just liked some other guy or something like that. So Tales old as time. I had my little recording machine, and I was like, I'm going to record it. I'm going to give it to her, and I'm going to win her over, dude. She's going to hear it. She's going to come run into my arms, dude. And John Cusack's going to hold up a fucking boombox in the background, dude. We're going to make out and lose each other's virginities. Get it, Clay? Yeah. He's going to be shouting. <laughs> Someone's going to throw me a football. And, and uh, I, I gave her this CD, you know, here you go. And uh, next thing I know, later that, or in the next day or whatever, I'm waiting for her to, like, write me a note or something or, like, come up to me. And all of my dumbass fucking friends are singing the song because she showed it all to them. And it was such an intimate, like, song, too. Yeah, it was like writing. It's a, it's, I was it's like, your diary on Fuck blast. you, bitch. You <laughs> fucking <laughs> cunt. <laughs> I hate you for all time. Uh, cat Twiggins. And uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, that was pretty funny. That was, a, that was a good introduction to, like, the heartbreaking... Uh, vulnerability that it takes and the fact that some people are just not gonna give a shit um, about oh, it or, no. or understand it or whatever. I love that the song Lodi by um, uh, John Fogarty from Creedence Clearwater. Um, it's about the struggles of being a musician um, and, um, you know, playing in a band and, and, and uh, you know, um, toiling in obscurity. And he says, if I had a dollar for every song I sung or something, something while people sat there drunk and like, how many times have you like been like trying to bust your heart out? And it's just like, why am I even fucking here, dude? You know what I mean? For 60 bucks for some drink tickets, like 
Shit's rough. I could be playing in my fucking living room right now, you know, and, yeah. and it would be more fulfilling than this. Oh, I, yeah. I, I could be sleeping and that would be more mm. fulfilling. Yeah, I think about that shit all the time. But that's the struggle, man. That's what we do. Yeah. What was it? I was listening to, um, oh, what is his name? Glenn Hansard. Um, he had, he had, huh? I'm not familiar with Glenn Hansard. Uh, he was, he's like one of Takamini's okay, cool. sponsored guys. Very cool. Um, but he's done, he wrote the entire soundtrack for a movie called Once. Okay. And it was just a love story where, but it was like kind of realistic. Like they don't wind up together at the end. He's a struggling musician in the movie and he's playing this old beat to shit Takamini that's got a hole right where the pit guard is. Mm-hmm. And it's just perfect. Yeah. Uh, practically homeless, so it's accurate. Sick, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he, so, but he, um, he has a line in one of his newest. He's probably got another album out by now, but I can't remember the name of the song. But he talks about like the songwriter's plight and mm-hmm. the musician's plight of just man, this life. It's you have to be born to do it. They say because there's nothing. Yeah, like you're never gonna get you're you're never gonna get rewarded. You're never going to feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. You just do it because you have to do it. Yeah. And that's just like, it's it's almost a burden at times to be a songwriter, to be a singer, to be somebody that like, I have to put this art out and I have to perform it too. Yeah. And regardless of the pennies that I'm going to get, like this is, it's something that's in me yeah. that, I, that has to be done. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. Uh, yeah, you definitely, one thing I've definitely learned is you cannot try and chase the money because you can make a little money at this level. You can make a hundred bucks a gig, you know, something like that. Sometimes you can snag a good gig and make, you know, a few hundred bucks or whatever, you know, for an hour's work, that's a fairly good hourly rate. But man, you start fucking trying to get paid and make that your motive. Next thing you know, you're going to be playing fucking weddings. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be in a shitty cover band. You're gonna be playing state fairs and shit. Like oh, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna be doing the shit that is really really hard to fucking you know justify. Um, the 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 lack of art uh, in music, I think, is the most atrocious thing. I really do. I couldn't agree more. If you look at a lot of anything that's really popular. Now, we're backing track. Like you, you know, even the best songs today are a backing track for one simple moment in someone's day. Yeah, and then it's usually forgotten just as quickly as it was discovered. Yeah, there's nothing that's even something that's truly revolutionary or that's I, truly inspiring for guys like you and I. Yeah, I'll listen to that track multiple, multiple times. Mm-hmm. But for the average listener, they they heard it on a playlist on Spotify one time, mm-hmm. you know, and they gave it a thumbs up, but they never ever revisited it again. It's like yeah. you have to pierce someone to their core to get any, to get anything, it seems, mm-hmm. uh, out of them. Yeah. But yeah. And speaking of winnings, yeah, that's how I keep all this running. Yeah. <laughs> and it's. You're a weddings guy? I'm a I was weddings ta- I was guy. Talking- I'm not a weddings cover band guy because. I was talking to a weddings guy the other day, Jared Heck, you know him? I don't know him. He 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 does that racket and um, I don't do the full band stuff and I don't do all night. What we do is mm-hmm. uh, like I'll I'll play the classical music mm-hmm. for the walk down the aisle with a violinist and then we uh, we do a short dinner set with me and the violinist and then we'll both sing usually 
and do a, just 45 minutes and then I DJ and MC the rest of the evening when they're ready to get drunk and party because sure yeah I mean in Oklahoma if you're going to be in a wedding cover band then to get paid what you're worth you're say you're in a you're asking a thousand a man sure um and I feel like that's justifiable you go to Texas you could probably get that all day Mm-hmm. But here, it's a lot harder to pull that off, and yeah. so there are very, very few. Wedding so you have to bands. S- slim down your you have to slim your, your arsenal, yeah. yeah, your personnel. So, um, and, and so, I'm not, I'm not trying to like say, oh, like, no, oh if not. you play weddings, like fuck you. But you no, know, it's just hard. Yeah, it's know. a lot of hard work. Those, I mean, those folks that go out there, you're spending four hours. Oh, I've done plenty of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, singing yeah. your guts out. I played an Oktoberfest one time. I played polka for fucking eight hours, dude. I would polka it up. With with a three-piece <laughs> rock band, dude. I played polka for eight fucking hours. It was awesome. I bet it was. Yeah, we took a bunch of Adderall and just got fucked up and just drank <laughs> beer all day and <laughs> ate fucking pretzels and sausages and, you know, mm. apple pancakes and shit and potato oh. pancakes. And it's beautiful. It was awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the worst moment or the uh, worst slash best moment was, um, you know, we played the chicken dance probably eight fucking times that day. Every set, <laughs> you have to play the chicken dance. Very recognizable metal, melody. Uh, the last time we were slated to play it, you know, the kind of like final hour of the night, second to last set or whatever, or it was our last set. We got, we're, we're okay, now it's time for the chicken dance. And I was so fucked up that like <laughs> I completely played a different song entirely. I played Buck's Polka by Bl- by Buck Owens. <laughs> and um, they're looking around at me and I'm just shredding on it, dude. <laughs> Come on. And uh, in. after the song was over, they're like, what in the hell are you doing, man? I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, are you fucking kidding me? They asked me to leave the stage for a little bit and drink a couple bottles of water and uh, get my shit together. <laughs> so that was fun. That was, a, that was nice. <laughs> get off the stage. Get off the fucking you stage. Play the chicken dance. Oktoberfest. <laughs> yeah, man. That's beautiful. And that was the highest paying gig I ever did, dude. It was incredible. That <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Uh, so what happens when you pay musicians with free beer? They're going right? to get their money worth, you know Yeah, what we're I mean? going to sucker you in and then we're going to, yeah. yeah, you fuck yourself. You think you're fucking us, like. <laughs> yeah, wait till my fucking flaws come yeah. out, bitch. <laughs> it's beautiful. Damn it. Yeah. Oh. Um, pause. Uh, I need to use the restroom. And we're back after that short commercial break. Yeah. Chew Big Red. Yep. I need to get sponsors. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Get some funding for this thing. Mm-hmm. I got to figure out how to get Spotify to pay me for plays. I have not done that yet. Okay. I've got it distributing to them, but I have not figured out. I need to actually submit it to where you... I know you get... Yeah. It spits out money yeah, for there's a X way. amount of pl- mm-hmm. pay- plays yeah. or whatever it is. Someday. I don't, I don't know. know anything about that. Yeah. I don't either. I think you can use DistroKid. Everybody's been telling me to use that. Okay. So we'll see. Heard of that CD, baby? That's yes. That's another one. Well, apparently the guy from 
CD Baby, like the one of the original founders, left CD Baby and went over to DistroKid because that was a closer model to what his original business plan was or was his original idea. Okay. And he, like that's how he wanted to help artists and release their music. And apparently CD Baby, whoever he found it with, wanted to do it a different way. I don't know. Mm. So makes it sound like DistroKid might be the better way to go, but I don't know. Well, they do have CD in the title, so I, I'm sure they have an antiquated model. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think I still have stuff on there, but I don't have any profit. Mm. <laughs> so... Which is, you know, my I've kept my expectations where they should be. There you go. Low. Um, where they deserve to be. <laughs> they deserve to be. Uh, one thing I really want to talk to you about, uh, because I, I love the way you play. I love your style. Um, the way you move through your chord progressions. It's not a basic model. Um and so I wanted to talk to you about how you, just your songwriting process. You don't have to talk about just chord progressions or anything like that, but I know that you probably are somebody that you develop music before lyrics sometimes Definitely. and probably also develop your lyrics after I, or whatever. I before. rarely develop lyrics before. Okay. Sometimes I'll think of a phrase, right? And I'll think that needs to be in a song. Mm -hmm. But I've never sat down and wrote basically a poem without you know, a melody or just lyrics and melody and then put chords behind it. Never happened. Um, usually, um, I'll come up with, I'll be jamming and I'll come up with, I'll just try out a chord progression I like and I'll go with it. I'll come up with one line that's good or a chorus or something to drive it. And then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take it from there and, you know, I'll write, two verses worth of crap that I know I'm going to replace just to fit, get a final point. You know what I mean? Right. I might get a start and a finish and then I have to go back in and redo everything. But I mean, as far as chord progressions go and how, like how I write them, um, you know, I'll oftentimes I'll hear somebody do something with a chord progression. That's interesting to me that I just want to emulate. Um, like, um, great example is like, uh, Karma Police by Radiohead, like a masterful chord progression like that. Absolutely insane. I'll hear something great like that and I'll think, I'll have to implement that. I'll have to go to that weird chord that they do. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what that was, man. It was because <sighs> I could show you. There we go. Okay. That'll um, be easier. Because so I was just trying to remember the number. Um, so because it was out of the chord progression, it, it didn't match. Yeah. Right? Okay. So that has like that has something I love, which is called temporary tonic shift, where it, uh, like changes mm -hmm. the key changes like from the verse to the chorus and halfway in between all that shit. So it's like, uh, um, let's see, where's C on here? It's right here. So it's uh, um, this is what you get. This is what. Right, right. And what that's doing is, you know, th so that's key of, I think about it because ukulele is weird, uh, key of G, right? Um, basically, so it's C, 
to D, and then it goes G, and then F sharp. But really, when it goes from G to F sharp, you're kind of in the key of D, and that's like hitting a four to three. Right. So it goes from... Because the way... Because you're starting so on when, C. Yeah, so when it goes to that one, yeah. that G, you don't know it. You're just on a four, yeah. and you just don't fucking know it until right. it hits that next one. So when I find something really interesting like that, I want to emulate it. Um, you know, like the the song we listened to earlier that I wrote, the progression is basically the dock of the bay progression. I mm. mean, it's the same structure. I mean, it's, it's oh, one to the major three to the four, and then it walks it down to the major two. Mm. And that's been used on a lot of shit, you know what I mean? But... It's I great. need to take more time and sit down and actually look at chord progressions like that just so I can recognize the patterns that have already been done mm-hmm. like that. Because I, yeah, yeah. Because, dude, that's how you get it. Like, I steal a lot of my shit, dude. Straight up. Yeah. Because, I mean... Well, everything's stolen. Everything's regurgitated. Yeah. Everything's taken in. You're and not going to make up a new chord yeah. progression, so just steal that shit. Karma Police, Sexy Sadie by The Beatles. The Beatles did it long before. Sexy yeah. Sadie. They do, they do that weird chord and you know radiohead was just smart enough to steal it yeah and creepy enough to make it their god own. they're creepy fuckers <laughs> dude but that song's masterful you know the, yeah. the and i can't play it on a ukulele because i'm really not that it was super happy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> karma, yeah. karma police yeah, yeah there it is when the moon is your eye um, but yeah, you know, um, I like guys like David Bowie, Elton John, um, Brian Wilson, a common element I find amongst the great chord progression writers is that they'll often have a very rudimentary element to a song. Take, um, Life on Mars by David Bowie for an example, which is a masterful chord progression, like fucking jesus christ just learning it is fucking Mm -hmm. near impossible because you're like why is it going to this chord what the fuck dude um and that's all rooted around a chromatic baseline so all it's rooted around Hmm. stairway to heaven too rooted around a chromatic baseline it just walks it down one note at a time um god only knows by brian wilson chromatic baseline um it's it's everywhere you see it everywhere um um, that's, uh, or, um, I did it my way by Paul Anka made famous by Frank Sinatra, um, chromatic baseline nice. and life on Mars is modeled after I did it my way because Paul Anka, that was a French song and they tried to get David Bowie to write lyrics, Yeah, but they passed on his version cause it wasn't good enough, gave it to Paul Anka and he wrote my way. So then David Bowie was like, well. Fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. <laughs> this is life on Mars now. Oh. <laughs> uh, what a she devil. Yep. But nice. I mean, dude, you know, sometimes I just want to write a three chord song, you know. I four five, baby. I do I got I actually got obsessed with the four chord progression for a while. And I did that I actually I tried to get stuck on a three chord. Because uh, I was taking a look at some Taylor Swift tune, mm-hmm. and I got super mad because I was just, I was jealous 
But I, I mean, I now I understand a lot more than I did then about why she's as popular as she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got obsessed with this this pop model. These people mm-hmm. that they use the same four chords, and everybody who yeah. comes out, you know, twenty nineteen is going to be the year of this chord progression. And every major hit pop song is this the, the same regurgitated progression, just yeah. reharmonized in some form or fashion. Totally. Um, and so I got obsessed with that thought, and so I made. Um, one of my more popular songs we love to close with it. It's called Love Your Company. And like, it's just four, it's four chords because uh, my keyboardist made me add an extra chord. Because okay. he was like, I get it, but this is way too fucking boring. Mm-hmm. You've got to do something to change it a little bit. So we changed mm-hmm. it. Uh, uh, but it, yeah, and it's just, I got obsessed. And so I did the the entire song is the exact same four chords in the exact same order mm-hmm. from start to finish. Bob Dylan was a master at the three chord song. Yeah. Um, and I, I, a fun exercise for songwriters is to take a song that you have or that someone else wrote that has a lot of chords, seven, eight chords, key changes, mm-hmm. and reduce it. Yeah, make because the, you can. Make, because you can. You can take, okay, for example, like, you know, if your progression is, let's say, Don't Let Me Down by the Beatles, that's minor two to the five to the one, but that minor two is interchangeable with the four. So you can do four, five, one. Hmm. That's but, some stuff that I need to dive into for sure. Yeah. Is a substitution just to understand it better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that'd be an awesome exercise. Because, for- I mean, think about it. it let's say you got a... A song, you know, Blitzkrieg Bop by the by the Ramones. Everybody fucking knows it, right? It's one, 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 four, five. Um, and if you don't know your numerals and you're a songwriter, learn them because they're not that hard and they will fucking, like, open your shit up. Like, they're great. Oh, yeah. Great to know. It makes everything simpler. But instead of doing one, four, five, you can take the relevant minor chords and make that a minor song and, like the exact melody line will fit on top of that. Huh. And so you can always interchange the relevant minor, you know, the one for the six, the two for the four, or the three for the five. Nice. And you got that weird diminished seven in there. That's just a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was always been hilarious to me. Uh, just make it a seventh and call it a day. Mm-hmm. But whatever. So cool. You uh that's really enlightening. There's a lot of information in there for anybody that doesn't know that's uh there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, taking look at what you can substitute, chord substitution. If you're bored with your progressions, if you're having a hard time figuring something out and you're tired of using G C and D, mm-hmm. like just switch it up. Yeah. Um you can find any number of articles on online about chord substitution chord sure um something that i want to learn i want to practice it more than i do mm-hmm. but another thing i've been starting to get in, interested in is just reharmonizing um things and figuring that out which it's all kind of plays into itself anyways uh and i say go simple yeah like if you want well, yeah, to, that's what I, yeah, like take G, take yeah. a really simple chord progression. Don't try and, and try to modify jazz, that. Try to modify know? that. Yeah, um, or or just learn other songs. Like learn very simple pop songs. Like I started understanding music theory by listening to the Ramones hmm. 
because it was simple enough to understand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you see the shapes emerging. You're like, oh my God, it's all the same shit. It's just in different keys. Um, and, and that's then, why it's important to learn the numeral system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then you're like, oh, shit. And this I didn't is learn, one, four, five. This is one, I four, didn't five. learn the numeral system until I was probably about 25. I didn't know that shit. I knew it in my head. I, I understood it in a way that I couldn't communicate. But, you know, it's complex to be like, it's A to C sharp minor and then D and then, you know. Yeah. Like, fuck that shit, dude. I don't got time for you to think. No, one to sharp five. Yeah. If you've got some weird shit going on. Yeah. It's easier to explain even the more difficult things. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, one of my guys, my keyboardist has a master's in music theory, and he tells me shit all the time. I learn from him, and then I got another guy that's composition, got a master's in composition from, what, like Boston or something. I've um, been lucky to trick a lot of and very that's great, smart dude. people into my it's awesome. group. It's so nice when you're able to communicate ideals was ideas with somebody um and and get it across you know what i mean because i've worked with songwriters who were fantastic and didn't know a fucking thing about it oh yeah and you're like dude they do it by feel and they're like i don't need to learn this shit and you're like you do if you want to play with good musicians motherfucker because you're gonna drive them away because they're gonna get fucking sick they're not gonna want to rehearse with you when it takes an hour to explain a simple concept because you have to like you know, because you can't take around it. It takes an afternoon, an afternoon to learn that number system. I mean, it really is that simple. It may might sound complex, like two five one sounds complex. It's associated with jazz music, big fucking deal. But once you like grasp it, it's like, dude, why don't I just fucking, you know, brew a pot of coffee and sit down with somebody who understands this shit a little bit? And there's mm-hmm. a guy. His name's Michael New. He puts out videos on YouTube, and he's fantastic. He will teach you everything you need to know for free. Nice. I might look up some of that shit myself. N-E-W. Boom. Boom. Yeah, I'm always looking for new new people to kind of learn from. I listen to, I watched a lot of Paul David stuff just because he does really good quality video. But yeah. Um, so wait, let's talk about your lyrics a little bit. You say you, you like to de- develop those after your progressions most of the time. That's usually how it happens. So, like, when I – how I write a song is like this. Um, I'll be at home. I'll be jamming on the guitar. I'll be singing or piano, usually guitar. I've written a few songs on piano, but mostly guitar. Um, I'll be just making stuff up. I'll be improvising. Right. Um. And I'll come up with something that goes, that's good. I got to I gotta work that out. Um, usually, the chord progression happens almost instantaneously because it's like, I'll try this chord in place of that one. I'll go, holy shit, that sounds great. I like that. So that means I basically developed that chord progression in an instant, but then I'll spend an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it is, working out the lyrics. So that's what I mean by like lyrics come after. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll set it down for a week and leave it. Um, and so that's that's how it works with lyrics. Now with lyrics, they change. Like I won't usually change a chord progression a month down the line, but I've changed lyrics years down the line. I've thought I've it's, I've all of a sudden after singing a song a hundred times for five years, be like. Just thought of a better lyric. Boom. 
So the lyrics kind of um, evolve, I think, a little more. Nice. Chord progressions are a little more, like, anchored. Right. But yeah, that makes sense. Unless you just get bored and rework it. Sure. Or rework it, A little bit different. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, Well, hell, you've already hit on this. You write a little bit differently than a lot of the people that I have on here. A lot of the... Especially a lot of the local songwriters, they come up with their lyrics kind of simul not some simultaneously, but like there's a lot of people who just they write their lyrics first and then or they'll give and they'll find even their main melody and kind of build everything around that. I'm kind of closer, more closely aligned with you. I'll jam on something till I find mm-hmm. what I'm looking for. Yeah. And then I'll be like, there's something there. Yeah. And then I almost I've written so many lyrically I've written so many songs starting with just syllables. Sure, yeah. Because I'll be like this syllable sounds really nice when I sing it mm-hmm. at this note. Yeah. And so I need to find a word. Kirk, for o- this. Kirk Cobain was the master of that. He he uh he, he professed on many occasions that his lyrics were meaningless. That he would write lyrics based around what syllable he wanted to say and what feel he wanted to have. I always thought that was pretty inspiring. Hmm. Like a guy who's known for great lyrics couldn't have given a shit about him. Um, Paul McCartney, uh, when he wrote Yesterday, his seminal fucking song, the original lyrics was not Yesterday. It was Scrambled Eggs. <laughs> and, <laughs> I feel like I've heard that somewhere and before. It, and it is scrambled the most, eggs. And it is, <laughs> scrambled eggs. And like that is the most beautifully written prose in recorded music, I think. And so, you know, it's hard to know exactly what you want to say but you know how you want it to feel instantly because it's a visceral Mm -hmm. feeling and it just comes out of you without thinking. With lyrics, and like I think we can all relate to this, like with conversations, like you have these great, grandiose conversations in our head, but when you try and have this conversation with another human being, the shit comes out all wrong. You say the wrong thing or you leave important shit out. And so being able to sit down with a pen and a paper after you kind of know the layout and the outline and write it out and scratch it out and look up words that rhyme with it on the internet and all kinds of useful tools like that, you come, I think you just come out with a better literary product at the end as opposed to like, this is how I want to do it. And I don't know, maybe it works for other people, but that's like the model I always followed. It works, yeah. it works for me. Everybody's got a slightly, it's like we're all... We're all like a degree off from each other mm-hmm. as far as our writing styles. Like I thought when I brought people on, I thought there'd be the, all these different kinds of writing processes, but there's really not a lot of mm-hmm. difference. There's just some people start on one end, some people start on the other, and then we all meet in the fucking middle somewhere. Yeah. But one thing I like to do is not write words down. I find mm-hmm. that that's pretty useful or chord progressions or anything. I, I like to, I'll do it. After I know the song's good, after a couple of days. And I heard about this from the Beatles. I love the Beatles. So I like the Beatles. And uh, <laughs> so, I, I like the Beatles. so I like the Beatles. And um, what they would do is they would, you know, they'd spend their whole afternoon writing songs, John and Paul, when they were teenagers, just throwing ideas back and forth. And their rule of thumb was if you remember it the next day, it's good enough to write down. If you don't, it wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. You're wasting your fucking time writing it down, man. 
And I, I, I have songs I've never written down that I play all the time that I remember, but just because I play them all the time. And like when you sing a song a hundred fucking times to yourself in your living room, you're going to remember the lyrics. You're not even <laughs> going to need to write it down, you know? Yeah. The only thing that I, I, I come from the camp of, I write every, everything down. But yeah. that's just because half the time I'm journaling. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish I did more, honestly, because there are things, there are good songs I've forgotten as a result. Oh, yeah. You lose stuff. I mean, everything's got its pro and con. I can't, I don't know how many things I've, how many hours I've wasted on songs that I've just kind of, meh. Yeah. Just dropped away because it wasn't any good anyways. I've certainly found pages where I was like, oh, I got to write this down real quick. You know, years and years later and been like, what the fuck was I thinking? Like, was I on acid? Nope. Just not where you needed to be yet. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I wonder what I'm going to think in 10 years of the material I'm putting out now. I don't really want to think about that. But. It, it's pretty funny. Like, um, you know, I'll. we were talking about the demo we did, Pocket Full of Awesome, when we were kids. Um, and, you know, on one hand, I like to be like, you know, that's pretty good for a 15-year-old kid. I'm proud of myself for having the drive and some kind of vision. But at the same time, it's like, man, I was fucking simple, dude. Like, and it's funny, you know, but yeah. um, it's it's also like, it's astounding, like, the growth you go through. So it will that's be That's nice what's cool. You got the ball. You, you got to see it. Yeah. From its inception. It's pretty cool that it's actually recorded because mm-hmm. now you can go back and see it. I've got a couple of songs like that, but they were later in high school. Mm-hmm. Like I was probably closer to 17 or 18 when I actually recorded some of my first songs. And I do have some of those. I don't have my very first uh, song. I would would love to have that now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I can't even remember it, but. Right, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, I just, oof. I wonder if it was any good. No one knows. I remember my first singing experience, and I feel like my mom taped it, but she probably erased it because it was terrible, but I'd love to see it. Uh, me and Leland, uh, the janitor, yes. <laughs> after our successful gig at the seventh grade talent show, we went to a, uh, and I hung out with Leland a lot. He'd come over to my house. We'd fucking jam, dude. Was rad dude. Hell yeah. Um, and... Uh, there was like a guitar, it was like a workshop thing. It was out somewhere in the country. It was like a workshop thing where, you know, you learn licks and stuff. And at the end of the day, if you wanted to perform a song or two, you'd get up on the flatbed trailer and sing into a PA system. And oh, I, had, yeah. I had never sang and I, I had no conception of like how to sing. I didn't know about notes at all. I didn't know about like hitting notes. Right. Or like training using your it voice. As an instrument. Yeah, using it as an instrument. I thought good singers just had good voices, and they were just born that fucking way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had no idea that you had to like hit a specific note. I thought you just made your voice I sound it was just cool. gonna come out. And man, it was embarrassing, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I didn't sing for years after that. I was like, I can't sing. I guess I guess I just can't fucking sing. <laughs> uh. That's crazy. You have an awesome voice. Thank you. I absolutely love it. It's got so much character in it. uh, And just, man, it's like raw and real. Thank you. Um, 
And actually, talking about that, let's talk about Helpless. That is that is the okay. song you guys will get to hear after this. Yeah. And uh, is your material out on Spotify and all that, too? It was, but we had like a year or two-year contract elapsed. It's not right now. Okay. However, if you go to our band's Facebook page, um, facebook.com slash snakeoilsales, snakeoilsalesman, you can look us up or you can find it through my page. Um there is a link to a website, snakeoilsalesman.net, and it is a terrible website because I designed it myself <laughs> on fucking Etsy or whatever it was, And uh, but you can stream it on there for free, and okay. you can buy digital copies, or you can pick up a CD for me at a show. Nice. Well, then, yeah, talk about Helpless. Helpless. Oh. Okay, so... Um, First of all, let me premise this by saying I was in a very helpless place. Not that that's what this song is really about at all, but I was. I was a heroin addict at the time. Um, and I realized in, an, in a moment that life was passing me by because a, a girl that I loved in high school that I dated that if I had taken a different path in life, I would be married to right now and have kids with her. She had just had her first child, mm. and I saw it on probably Facebook because I was living in Los Angeles. I was living in Echo Park, and she was, you know, here in Oklahoma. And, um, you know, I had that realization that, um, y- you know, time was move- marching on without me. Um, and so I sat down, and I wrote this song— and after I did, I mean, I just weeped. And then I wrote her a letter um, that I never sent. I, I don't know what I did with it, but I know I never sent it. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, that's really all there is to it. Um, you know, she's, she's a great person. We're, we're even kind of friends to this day. We kind of reconnected. And now she has, like I think, four kids with her husband. And, like, they have a great family and he's a rad dude, um, you know, and a great, great group here in, here in the city and everything. And it's uh, funny how life moves, man. Yeah. It's I, crazy. it really is, man. And I was in a very, very dark spot at that time because the music industry wasn't giving me what I wanted out of life. And I was starting to do drugs to cope with that. And that puts you in some very prickly situations. So, yeah. um, just kind of poured out one night, man. You know, it's kind of weird. I mean, it's not, it is a little bit weird. I have a very similar story as far as that goes. I had the same, uh, I didn't go out to California. I didn't try that hard. I uh, joined the military instead, mm-hmm. but uh, through a lot of drinking and drug abuse, I I think I had the exact same thing happen, essentially, like uh the girl that I would have married, we were da- we dated in high school through the end of high school. She even joined the military with me. But like uh, mm-hmm. we wound up, I wound up just kind of abusing that relationship to its final straw. Yeah, uh, because of my drinking and drug use. And then finally, I just once I I got clean, mm-hmm. I just left her the fuck alone. Yeah, you know, I let her live her life, and then she wound up getting married, and they have a kid now, and like yeah. Shit's good for her, you mm-hmm. know? And we did finally reconnect, and I just kind of got to say, like, 
I was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I never had to say that to her because I, I really wasn't. Well, yeah, it, for me, it's for me, need to be said. Really, for me, it was. Um, I had to break up with her because you know uh, I was like, I'm moving to Hollywood. Like, I I'm can't, gonna, I can't yeah. have a girlfriend. I'm moving to Hollywood. Like, I'm let's gonna, be real. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be busy. <laughs> um, and life moved on, you know, and. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, is I moved back after a year and a half or so thinking that we would be together. I was like, ah, Hollywood's not for me. Like, I'm going to move back and marry Louise and like, we'll fucking, you know, do our thing and whatever. And then she's like dating some guy and I'm just like, Ugh, life didn't work out. And so <laughs> then I moved back to L.A. and I moved to L.A. three times in my life and I'm moving there for the fourth time in January. Fourth time's the charm. You got this, man. I got it this time, baby. And, uh, so yeah, when, uh, when she had, had her first child, I was like, damn dude, like, how did this happen? Where, 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 where did all my options go? You know, <laughs> shit, uh, shit. <laughs> so, oh man. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, well, I mean, that's weird to say after all that. Anyways. Yeah. It's definitely not <laughs> cool. No. Well, but life does happen. It's. Uh, it's neat. It is neat. <laughs> neat How? would have been less appropriate than cool. <laughs> I've had such a swell time. Yeah. Uh, Take a gander at this. All right. Man. Well, you guys, I I absolutely adore this, uh, the sound that is on this thing. Oh, yeah. Talk about the recording process okay. for this. So this, this was, was amazing. It was amazing. Um, we recorded this song. At Studio 606, which is Dave Grohl's personal studio. Did you and, guys hear that? Uh, uh, David Grohl. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, this was this song was recorded, um, the, the vocals, the guitars, the bass, the drums, the core tracks, through the Neve console that was at Sound City, which is where, you know, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers made Damn the Torpedoes yes, and Fleetwood sir. Mac made Rumors and Nirvana made um, whatever the big record was. Um, and, you know, this this thing had Paul McCartney recording through it. Uh, I mean, Dave Grohl's studio is amazing. Literally everyone's been in there because he's such an amicable, nice guy. Everybody loves Dave Grohl and he's worked with so many people. Um, you know, I sat in the same chair that fucking, you know, like Jack Black sat in. I'm like, holy fucking <laughs> shit, dude. Like that was the coolest one for me, Jack Black. Oh yeah. Um, so how we got this and you can actually just rent it. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be like a faded uh, experience where like you run into Dave Grohl, but that's what happened to us. Um, our base, our bass player, Tristan Cole Falick, uh, wonderful man and a silver tongue devil, um, saw Dave Grohl standing on the fucking street and he goes right up to him and he, he, he just honestly said, look, I'm in a band where we're writing our own songs. We love what we do, but we're struggling to get to the next step. And Dave said, why don't you come by my studio for a day? And this is not a cheap studio to rent, but he gave us a free day. Um, Jeez, dude. and so we got to spend a whole day and we did three songs and there's, so there's three songs on that album I gave you that um were recorded through there and uh we spent the whole day with uh John Lustello um who's a great engineer who who runs that joint over there and um um at one point Pat Schmier came in 
And he heard what we were working on. He was like, hey, that's cool. I was like, oh, my God, dude. He's in Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. so, but, yeah, it was just really cool. And then, you know, the that material got shelved for a little bit. And then when we made our album, we just reached back out to him. We're like, hey, we really want to get those, get those stems and put that out. Um, because the sound of it is just incredible. Like, that studio is just fucking amazing, dude. And the drum set that... Nick, our drummer, used was Taylor's drum set. Um, Man, that's I awesome. mean, with the Creed bass drum head and everything, <laughs> dude, it was fucking great. And um, I, I, I used. I don't know what amp and guitar I used, but it was the Foo Fighters fucking amp and guitar. You know what I mean? And it was rad, dude. And um, was it the glass guitar? <laughs> no, I forget what it was. I think it was a Telecaster. I don't think you'd forget that. That'd but, be amazing. Yeah. And super heavy, I'm sure. It was really cool. And and I'd love to record there again. And we might. Um, it's not it's not outrageously expensive. It's just not fucking cheap at all, too. So it's like you can do it. Reach out to them if you ever want to do it. It's totally totally possible. I may have to do that one of these days. Yeah. When I come visit you guys out in California. Heck yeah, baby. <laughs> um so before we kind of march down the path of closing this bitch down, bitch, bitch, uh, I like to ask everybody this question: um, Is there any piece of advice for songwriting for songwriters out there, people that are either from the seasoned professionals to the people that maybe are just getting their start, maybe just trying to get their feet wet? Um, any piece of advice you'd give them creatively or? What, are, what else would there be? Technically. There's technical and creative. But yeah, anything. Uh, so technical, um, I'd say be kind of like fearless in your search of education. Like look for those nuggets of wisdom everywhere you can. YouTube, read some fucking books, take some classes if, that what it, if that's what it takes. You know, just ask a bunch of questions. Like reach out to your community and ask them you know, if someone writes a good song, ask them how they fucking did it. And don't be afraid to look like a dumbass because you don't know that technical knowledge because that's how you learn it. Um, as far as creative, um, I'd say do whatever works for you, you know. Um, uh, so find it. Find it, yeah. Read a book, I guess, you know. You can learn a lot of, lot of cool phrases in books or in everyday life. Talk to some um hillbilly at a podunk gas station and steal some of his lingo off him or just just whatever you know what i mean if you think of something completely fucking outrageous and think that'd be crazy if it was in a song i guess try and put it in there or you know uh creativity is geez i don't know man it's kind of a fickle thing right like some days you got it in spades and other days you're fucking digging for it and you're just not not finding it i mean i've had month-long lulls of creativity um that one day dissipated and i wrote three great songs in a fucking day and i don't know what it was about that day i like to think that it coincides with the chapters of my life when i like come to some conclusion or realization but honestly i feel like creativity kind of finds you in a lot of ways you can you can foster it but you know um, Chuck Palahniuk has a quote about writer's block that I think is great. 
and he wrote um, a lot of great books, namely Fight Club. He's famous for that one. Okay. Um, and, and many other great books. But he was asked how he dealt with writer's block, and he said he doesn't. <laughs> he said he doesn't get writer's block. He said writing is like taking a shit, and you're not going to sit on a toilet and push if you don't got to go. Huh. All right. Very poetic. It is. There's a beauty in that. There is. And I've always thought like that. Like when I write a good song, it is therapeutic, man. It fucking like, it's good. So. Nice. It actually reminds me of one. I just saw it again the other day and I try to remember it every time I see it. Uh, But I don't even remember what this is. It's on a YouTube video with John Mayer. And he always talks about, uh, he said this a couple of times, but whenever he's um, looking at chord progressions, when he's trying to learn, and as far as like fearlessly educate yourself, look for anything and ask people questions. Like you don't have to ask a question necessarily for this, but you might need to consult someone who really knows. But he said, whenever I found something that I really dug, a a progression or a lick, he's like, he dives into it and he traces it back. He's like, anything you do, trace it back. Figure out why you like it. How does this, what does it mean? Oh, yeah. In, in context, like, yeah, this is a cool lick, but if I play it over the wrong chords, yeah. it's going to sound like shit. Sure. And it's... Uh, like beat it to death, kind of? Like, yeah, learn, like learn everything about learn it. Learn everything, yeah. pull, er, squeeze every bit of the juice out of that yeah. lemon that you can. I think it's great, yeah. And that's something that I just, some you know, I forget. Because, I mean, that takes effort. If you want to really learn, you're going to have to put out effort anyways. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So make the best, make the use, the most use you can out of the things you learn. Don't just like cruise by learning the num- numerical yeah, system. Don't don't take the easy way out because yeah. it's, it's not going to work for you. You know, get dirty, enjoy working hard because that's really the only thing that pays off in the end. I mean, yeah, that's why we're both you so might- <laughs> rich today. Yeah, <laughs> literally have hundreds of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so wait, what, um, you've already talked about it a little bit, but repeat it one more time. Where can people find you and what, Look, what titles? Snake Oil Salesman, S-O-S. That is our band. Um, that is what I love and that's what I do. I'm in Oklahoma right now and they're in California. So I'm mostly doing acoustic shows. I do post those on my Facebook page. Um, and you can find links to snake oil stuff on my Facebook page as well. Um, I really only use Facebook, um, and sometimes just word of mouth, but, um, yeah, just check me out on Facebook. I, I don't, I don't really use anything else, um, to, to publicize myself or to like put out material because that's kind of like the main social media that everyone uses. So that's, that's just how I roll. Um, and tomorrow I'm playing at JJ's alley, which this won't be out tomorrow. So a few days ago I played at JJ's alley uh, (laughs) with my good buddy Jacob Lee. And then, um, you know, I, I will always post upcoming gigs on my Facebook page because I do like people to come out and it's nice. So, um, hit me up, baby. Hell yeah, man. Well, thank you for coming in. Yeah. Thank you. This was a great, this will be a good interview. Cool. Everybody's going to enjoy this. Cool. All right, well, you guys stick around, listen to Helpless, and look up Snake Oil Salesman. Um, 
they're fucking awesome. You're going to love this track. And thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Make you love me once again.